So now we come to controlling the scope of a project and uh, learning outcome seven, part three, configuration management. What, what is configuration management? It's a, it's a long word, not everybody uses it, um, but it's a process, it's a process. I mean, for some people, this might be at minimum level version control, but for many projects, it's much more than that. So we're gonna take a look at this. So let's look at some basic terms, first of all. Configuration, what, what does that mean? Well, this describes the, the functional and the physical characteristics of a product. So if we had a motor car, we could say it's configured that the engine in the front um, and the, uh, it's got four seats and it's got doors at the back, it's configured in a way, or we, or we configure a, a training room. It's configured as a U or, or, or as, um, you know, in, in a sort of conference or cabaret style, the way something is put together, perhaps. So configuration management is all about the process of creating, maintaining, controlling the scope of a project. Now, that, that may not mean much at the moment, so let, bear with us and we will sort of describe this in some tangible terms. One more uh, definition here, a configuration item, abbreviated CI. This is an individual product that forms part of the whole. So if we take the motor car, the configuration of the motor car was the engine is at the front, the gearbox is over here, the seats are here, the doors are here. But then we take one of the configuration items, which might be, I don't know, um, let's say the steering wheel of the car. Um, then that steering wheel uh, might be the third version of the steering wheel we fitted that car. So is it version three? And we know exactly what steering wheel is fitted to which model of car. So the configuration item is a component of the whole. Um, we said that configuration management at its minimum, for, for, for some people, might just be version control. So if you're in an office and um, basically pieces of papers and documents are your products, then version control uh, and a good filing system might equate to configuration management. Uh, it's sometimes described as asset management. So in an organization that has many, many components, it would often be part of the asset management system. So if we sort of take some images and try to just visualize what all this means, probably two images come to my mind. One is the jigsaw puzzle. So just think of the old fashioned jigsaw puzzle that, that some people really like to do. I'm, I have to admit, I, I really dislike jigsaw puzzles. But let's take a jigsaw puzzle. There's the picture on the box. I don't know, a, a famous painting, for example. And all the individual pieces are the configuration items, and they're put in a particular order. They make up the whole. And of course, if you change one of the pieces, if you change the shape of one of the pieces, it would have a major impact on all the other pieces, or at least some of the other pieces. If you brought out a, a Mark II version of the digital puzzle, then you've got two versions in circulation. So how do you control that if you needed to? Now, let's take the jigsaw puzzle and make the jigsaw puzzle into an electronic circuit for a, a camera or a laptop. Suddenly, now you've got hundreds of pieces that all fit together. And you build this new device and you send it out and people start to use it. 
but then you want to improve it or change a component or somebody um, has a failure and you need to change uh, maybe the lens of the camera or the CPU of the laptop and you need to know what version is in there. So understanding what you've got is pretty much what configuration management is based on and then controlling and tracking that through its life of the project. Um, there is a process, and again, I'm going to send you back to the Provec book for this because it's quite detailed, but at the top level, we plan it. So first of all, in the definition phase of the project, part of the project management plan, we might well have a configuration management plan. And this will tell us how we're going to do configuration management through the life of the project, who's going to do it, what products uh, we're going to control, uh, what filing systems we're going to use, uh, if the products are tangible things, maybe the storage system for those, how we're going to number things, what version numbers we're going to, are we going to go A, B, C, D, or 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, all of that needs to be thought through um, at the early stages of planning. Then we start to scope the projects, and this is where we now identify all of the component or the configuration items. So we could use our old friend, the uh, product breakdown structure, to do that. So we identify all the products that we want to bring under control. Then we control them. So this is all about keeping records, making sure that we update versions. We have a change control process in here um, that stops uncontrolled change. Status accounting. Now, the person that is often uh, allocated to do this has the grand title of configuration librarian. And that tells you a lot about this role. It's largely administrative. So this is about keeping records, knowing what you've got at any one point in time, knowing what stock you've got, knowing what versions, knowing what previous versions you've got, and uh, knowing what new versions are about to come out. So it's about keeping records. And then the last step here is verification. So this is where you want to go out and check that what you've got is what your records tell you you've got. Because sometimes in a project, these two can drift apart. Maybe the project is making great progress and, and people don't have the time to uh, or the inclination to update the records. So we end up delivering something that's actually got different parts, different version numbers than the drawings and the documents. So an audit, a verification audit could take place certainly at the end of a project, but it could take place at the end of key stages and phases to check. The configuration management, if we're really honest, is not the most exciting subject to talk about. But when it goes wrong, it is exciting, but not in a good way. Imagine not knowing what version of the software you had in your system, especially if it was safety critical software. Imagine not knowing which version of the drawings the builders were using to build your house. Imagine if somebody changed something and we didn't communicate that to the people designing it. This would be an absolute disaster. And these disasters do happen. There are some great and infamous stories about when this goes wrong. So, you know, beware. I think the, the, the devil is in the detail, as we might say. So a subject that is sort of joined almost to configuration management is um, part four of Learning Outcome 7, which is change control. So this is a process, an essential process to stop uncontrolled change. 
So let's just talk about the process. It's very easy to describe, but requires a lot of effort to implement effectively. So changes arise through all sorts of reasons. An issue happens, a problem arises, and, and we have to change something. Maybe, maybe some equipment that we're developing has failed its test. Maybe we've lost some resources. Maybe a calamity, a national uh, disaster has occurred, and we need to respond by making a change to something. Um, it could be that the stakeholders, despite our great efforts to get them to um, baseline the requirements, they come up with new requirements. Or the stakeholders have changed, and they bring along new wants and needs. So, you know, and if we're if we're if we're delivering the solution, um, we may have to respond to that. We can't just ignore that. Uh, new regulations would be another example. Suddenly, now we've got to put perhaps let's say health and safety features in to make our product safe and and, and usable. Um, it might be that um, our plans are no longer valid. We, we estimated the project, we wouldn't do it in a certain way, but we found that that was just wrong, or we made a mistake, or events have overtaken us, and we have to change something. So the essential thing to uh, good change control is making sure that we have a baseline scope first and foremost. So without a baseline scope, we cannot have change control. We have to have a, an agreed starting point. There is a process, and again, I'm going to send you back to the Provec book to have a detailed look at what takes place in each of these steps. But I'll just run through them very quickly with you. And this may, um, organizations vary uh, how they do this, but generally speaking, the first thing that you would do is have a process and make sure that everybody who wants to raise a change request uses a document, a form, a change request form, some formal means, agreed means, of getting it into the project. And the first job that is the responsibility of the project manager is to make sure that all change requests are logged in the change register. Make sure you have a change register. Then there would normally be some evaluation. Now, for some changes, especially if they're highly technical, they involve a lot of investigation, there might be an initial evaluation where we look at them and we ask certain questions and we come to some certain conclusions. Now, what that might mean is that we then have to go and spend quite a lot of money and time and effort investigating at a more detailed level. So we may have to get permission to go and spend that money. Or we may go to our client. Maybe our client has asked us to change something. And we take an initial look and we realize that this is potentially quite a big piece of work. We may go back to the client and say, look, you know, we're going to have to spend a lot of time on this. And obviously, if we um, are in a contract, we might need to think about who's going to pay for that time. Are we going to accommodate it out of our own estimates and our own budgets? Or are we going to get the client to pay for that? So that's a debate perhaps outside of the process, but certainly questions that should be asked. Then we go into a more detailed evaluation. So this is where we start to ask questions. And typical questions might be, you know, what's the underlying reason for this change request? Um, what actually is the scope of the change? You know, is it just this? Or does the, you think of the jigsaw puzzle example that we've used in configuration management. Does the change request sort of get bigger and bigger because more and more pieces of the project are impacted by this change. So this idea that it's only a small change suddenly becomes, um, you know, a statement that was not true. 
and it's a big change. So once we've discovered the the uh, the extent of the change, we would then ask a question: um, How much effort is involved in delivering this change, and how much is that going to cost us, and how long is it going to take? Then we could start asking other questions. We could say, well, how much risk does this introduce? I mean, after all, we assessed the risk of the project at its baseline state, and we found that that was acceptable. But now you want to make a change? Maybe now we've introduced more uncertainty in the project, so we need to look at that. Another question is, what about quality? We're going to change something. How does that affect the quality? And then perhaps the question that is often forgotten but it's probably a really crucial question, is what are the benefits from making this change? This change is going to cost somebody money. So is it worth doing? Does it give us benefits? Or is it just going to cost us money and give us no more benefits? And the question then, of course, is, is, is why do it? Um, we would then, if we are the project manager or the team surrounding the project manager, we would put our heads together and we would then look at whether we think this is a change that should be implemented. There may be other options as well, of course. And then we would escalate that up to the change authority. Now, that's a term we've just introduced. So the change authority, this is the body or the individual that has been allocated, designated to make decisions on change. So typically this might be the sponsor on the project board and the sponsor or to an independent body on some projects where a change authority is delegated from the sponsor to a, a technical group. Also, some level of change could be delegated to the project manager. So up to a certain spend, perhaps an impact on spend or time, the project manager might act as the change authority for sort of smaller changes. But all of this would need to be agreed right up front in the project, documented in the project management plan. Once, we made a, uh, once we've escalated it to the change authority, a decision would be made. So the decision um, could be we reject the change, in which case we go back to the person who raised it and we tell them the reason why. Um, it might be that we don't need to make this change now, so we defer it. Yes, it's a great idea, but we've decided to have a change freeze on the project. In other words, a point at which no more changes are going to be implemented unless they're absolutely must-haves. And we're going to finish the project. So this is a change that we might want to implement post-project. Or we accept the change. And then we, obviously, once we've done that, we would then need to update our versions, configuration management. We need to reissue plans, reissue work packages, maybe adjust contracts, make sure we communicate the change to the people who have to make it. And then we, of course, all through this process, we update the change register to show the status of the change until it's complete.